What's cracking, lovely people? It's the Big Feed Up HQ podcast, season two. So if you're new to the show, get on over and listen to season one. Over 44 episodes, I think it was maybe 45 episodes in season one. Chock full of cool conversations around nutrition, around performance. There's some mindset in there, a few people starting their own businesses. I usually release a show on a Monday, longer form conversation. And then on a Friday, I sometimes release a show, a little bit of a synopsis around how I found things during the week, working with people and, and some topics around nutrition. So without further ado, I've got a really fantastic guest on the show. I always refer back to her book, Fast Fuel, and I'll put all of the links and things in the show notes. I have Renee McGregor, who's a sports and eating disorder dietitian. And before we started recording, she actually told me that she's celebrating her 20th year as a dietitian, which is absolutely fantastic. And I think we're just going to continue the conversation around how, you know, every day is a school day. It's 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 learning. And, you know, she was giving me some some fantastic information around you know, continue to, to be hungry and observe. And, and, and because I'm a young practitioner, it's it's so valuable. So yeah, thank you for coming on the show, Renee. Thanks for having me, Matt. And apologies that I'm a little bit full of cold. So I don't normally sound this, uh, this bunged up. So. <laughs> nah, nah, it's great. It's, you know, it's good to cleave some of your time because um, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have have, have picked you up either you know in the ears or or on 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 ITV it was I think and then obviously your you know your books and your and your writing and it and it, and it sounds like you're doing quite a lot so it's, so it's really good to have a bit more of a longer form conversation today yeah it's a, it's been a, it's been a it's been a busy few years indeed but um but all rewarding so um all good mm. but yeah I think sometimes you have to take stock and just have a year of consolidation I think that's a really important thing to to learn definitely Mm, mm, mm. and I think we just yeah we just carry on obviously before before I started recording you you were flowing through just uh yeah you were you were slightly reflecting on on um growing as a practitioner yourself and you said you've taken on some some young interns and and maybe just elaborate elaborate on that process and how you you reflect on some of your some of your days with them yeah, no, absolutely. So I think, I mean, I think one of the things that I'm noticing is obviously, you know, as you said, I have been around for a while. So I'm, I was, you know, I qualified as a dietitian in 1999. And my first couple of jobs were in big, massive teaching hospitals. So, you know, I was lucky to get my first job at St. George's and then my second job at uh, King's College. Um, and I, I did my internship or my placement year, because um, we did a year then as, as dietitian students at Guys and St. Thomas's. So I've, I was really fortunate and I had some amazing mentors along the way, like individual, like individual dietitians who I just think, uh, you know, still are, but at that time were really kind of breaking the mould and thinking outside the box. And, and I guess that's kind of mm. the way I have developed as a practitioner and and I guess like one of the things I was saying to you just you know just a short while ago is that it's brilliant we've got new young practitioners and I'm really supportive and really encouraging and I'm always open to chat like sorry that's my dog don't worry I've got um I've got one barking just next door as well it's all good carry on um, I, yeah and I think like I'm and I'm and actually I get questions a lot from young practitioners which is lovely because it's nice to feel that uh, I'm able to offer some guidance to them in the same way that I was offered guidance when I was, was, you know, developing. And I'm still learning. Like I said to you earlier, I'm, you know, I'm doing uh, another, I'm trying to do another postgrad at the moment in mental health and, and neuroscience psychology. But 
as I said, I'm appreciating that trying to do that while also working full time um, and doing all the additional stuff with Trekking Brave and everything else is is proving very, very challenging. And so I have cut myself some slack and, you know, I've sort of realised that this course for me is, is more about CPD than it is about necessarily me becoming something new. I mean, I'm very comfortable and confident in what I do as a dietitian, um, but this is about me learning how the brain works so that I can apply it to my practice. So if it takes me a bit longer, it takes me a bit longer, and I'm completely cool with that. But I think I think there's one thing I would say is that um, I do worry about some young practitioners um, who maybe feel that they are already experts in their field or they're very um, pigeonholed by mm. what they are working in in terms of area maybe it's because they've done a PhD in that or they've done some further study in that and I completely understand that mm. but I think it's really important to be able to um, see nutrition from a, from a wider perspective so we were talking earlier about um, a post I wrote this morning around reds and um, how it can affect gut health and actually how um, you shouldn't just assume that somebody comes into clinic that and they're suggesting they've got IBS type problems that perhaps they should immediately go on some sort of restrictive FODMAPI or intolerancy type diet. So because I think mm. one thing that I've learned from, from practice and, and my clinic is that especially when you're working with quite a vulnerable group that you know, they have a distort, disordered mentality around food and training is that they're always looking for validation to maintain their behaviors. And they're also very coercive. So when I've done some teaching um, on courses, like I've, I've lectured at quite a lot of different universities recently on MSE courses and, um, and, and so on. And I, and I think and one of the things I've always said is, please, please be mindful how certain individuals and it's not their fault it's because they're unwell but they will try and coerce you into thinking that um what they think is real because they want a legitimate reason to be you know be restrictive mm. if that makes sense mm. so, um and it's interesting because I, I actually had um a, another, a, a young practitioner contact me the other day saying you know i've got this case and she'd been to one of my lectures and she said, I think this is what you were talking about and I'm really unsure, but can I run it past you? And I said, of course you can run it past me. And and by the time we got to the kind of nuts and, nuts and bolts of it, she was completely right. She had been coerced into believing that this young woman who was a runner was... Um, needed needed to run every day for her mental health and yet her weight was below what it should have been mm. and so that was causing quite a lot of physical concerns and you know there was the whole issue with hypothalamic amenorrhea and, and everything else mm. and and she said I can't believe I've kind of got caught up in it and I said well don't be too hard on yourself because no because no this is what happens and I guess what I'm coming to is that you know your experience that you see in day-to-day -day clinic don't ever underestimate how much you're learning all the time and how also that, um, you know, while we learn from textbooks and we have to learn from textbooks and we have to learn from academic science, remember that no two people are the same, really. Mm. So we read, we have to use as guidance, but actually learning to think outside the box, learning to kind of um, 
use your initiative maybe sometimes your gut instinct all those things make you a really good practitioner understanding like listening looking at cues so with my interns one of the things I get them to do is they'll come and observe me at a workshop or they'll sometimes sit in clinic um, or they'll watch me present and the things I get them to um, to actually feed back on are well what did you observe in the audience like what did you notice in their facial expressions in their their body image in you know like what were the questions like and and did you think there was a change when we talked about something different and because basically what you're trying to do there is get get the practitioner to understand that you can pick up so much I mean I'm working with somebody at the moment who I started working with her believe it or not three years ago and three years ago she came into my clinical practice for sports nutrition specific advice because she was about to go and climb uh, Mount Kilimanjaro Mm. and um, we just had a conversation and I didn't say anything to her. I just, we just had a conversation. Um, you know, we talked about the needs and, and the direction she needed to go in, in terms of fueling her training and then what she needed to do when she was at altitude and, and everything else. But all, all through the um, consultation, it was so obvious to me that this young woman had real, real issues with her body image because it was the way in which she was sat, like she was sat, on a chair, really uncomfortably. She was wrapping her cardigan around her. She was sort of hugging her knees into her. Like it was that real kind of, I'm really uncomfortable. I don't really like, I don't want you to see what I'm looking like. And almost like she felt, you know, she was almost feeling, I think quite um, worried about what she had written in her food diary and and what that would expose of her, Mm. you know? So, I mean, I, and I didn't say anything to her at that stage because it wasn't the right time in terms of you have to choose and pick, you know, what's suitable. Mm. And um, interestingly, 18 months later, she contacted me again and she'd been diagnosed with celiac, uh, no, with, um, sorry, Crohn's disease. So we went through the process of helping her because she was very, very active at that stage. She so we went through the process of helping her with that. And then um, literally it was... November last year, so 2018, she contacted me again and she said, I know you know, but I'm now ready. Um, And she basically admitted she had real issues with food and, you know, everything that she'd done along the way had been, I guess, a way of trying to control, a way of kind of get back some sort of method of, of, of being disciplined but nothing really worked because actually fundamentally she really struggled with who she was so mm. um you know I guess what I'm saying that is that you can be the most academic person in the world but to be a good practitioner you have to understand how to engage you need to understand how to listen mm. and you need to understand how to package the science into something that they're going to be able to use because that is fundamentally the most important thing and you need to listen to feedback so I remember when I was first starting out in sports nutrition particularly the feedback I kept getting was I really like the fact that you're telling me I need you know 60 grams of carbs before my run session yeah. but you're also to me what that looks like like you're saying to me that's a bagel or you know whatever that's a, a, a medium-sized potato yeah. because what people don't want is they don't want a load of figures they don't want because they don't particularly want it. I mean, a lot of people, some people do, but a lot of people just want to know what they can eat to give them the performance they're looking for. So again, don't, you know, when you get feedback, 
some again some practitioners can get really funny about feedback from their clients and mm. if you want to create a good service and you want to really really get the outcome that the individual wants you have to get feedback like that's a really important thing because only then do you really understand how that person's body is responding to what you're doing and and then you can tweak mm. and that's how you get good practice and that's how you create a good relationship and I was actually talking to Robbie about this last night so Robbie Britton and I do a lot of work together um, and obviously I've worked with him previously with his own personal nutrition um, and we also run some training camps together mm. and we're both on on the team management for the GB 24-hour team. So we do a lot of work together. Mm. And uh, we were actually chatting. We had a catch-up. We've not caught up for ages. And we had a catch-up. And, and we were talking about this particular subject because I think his like dissertation is all about um, coaching and coaching relationships and, and you know, how you encourage it. And, 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 and I mean, he's probably better to talk to you about it because I can't remember the exact title, but mm. it's around those lines. But we were both talking about how case studies are so important because through case studies, you can actually start to help show the practical management of someone. And let's face it, if you're in a room full of nutritionists and you're presenting case studies, probably 60% minimum of those nutritionists are going to go, I've had someone similar, mm. you know, and you can then... Or I've had some something similar, and you can then like play around with it to make it work. So, yeah, I think um, knowledge is amazing, but experience. Don't ever underestimate the importance of experience, and and don't ever feel like you have to keep proving that you're like you're you're achieving. Like I had years and years and years of just working in clinical settings. I mean, I worked in the NHS for seven years in total um and then i went on to do just some like sports nutrition type clinics where i worked with everybody and anybody and then obviously yeah from there i've you know i've done some some more um interesting and exciting things but i think don't ever pigeonhole yourself because i i'll be honest like maybe where are we now 2019 so in 2007 when i left the nhs I I never ever thought I would go back into working with eating disorders mm. and yet here we are Full you know years later and I'm still working I'm working eating disorders but in a specific niche environment so I think yeah I mean I've kind of rambled on there for about 15 minutes no no it's, yeah definitely I think it's really valuable and I think it's that you know it's 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 having flexible it's it's being flexible with your thinking isn't it it's not having rigid thinking and then it's it's like you said um it's, this doesn't just need to apply to, to talking about how to be a better practitioner or a nutritionist it's also if people are listening to this and then they are reflecting on their own food environment or training environment and things like that it's um you know it's it's having that foundation of self-compassion and and you know people that open up to to people privately that that pay for 
consultations and work with people like yourself and myself one-on-one it's it's a big step obviously one one from a time from a financial point of view but then it's it's it takes like you said there it took that lady a few years to to kind of be confident enough to come forward and then I know it's all wrapped up in in mindfulness, I think is the buzzword these days, but you know, that that self-compassion and being confident enough to to be positive about oneself and then start to use tools and tactics around nutrition and training and, 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 you know, evolving your environment to perform better, to feel better is, you know, it's it's all a journey. Absolutely. And I think the thing is, is that I feel like, we've created quite quite a lot of conflict particularly in nutrition um in terms of now we have social media and you've basically got nutrition 24 7 in your face if you want it yeah and so you you know you know you if you're somebody who is maybe looking for that golden gem of advice from someone um it's so easy to cherry pick what you want to actually hear or what you want to actually see because mm. it's available for you. And and I, I think there's almost too much information out there. Like I, one of the things, again, like I'm working with um, a young climber at the moment and, and he's great, like he's a really, really cool guy, but he's really struggling with, he's, you know, he's, he's got issues around food and he's, um, he needs to energy restore and, and weight restore, um, and it's affected his hormones. Like, everything's kind of been impacted. Um, and he he's like, I know what I need to do. I get what you're saying to me, but I'm just, I, you know, I'm, I'm like, all the scaremongering we get every day about obesity and diabetes and, and cancer and, and everything else. And it's like, you know, it's, it's helping these individuals understand that what you eat on one day is not going to affect you on the next day, you know, but there's this, this absolute irrational fear Mm. that if you eat even a boiled sweet or, or something that, you know, is, is deemed unhealthy on one day, somehow it's going to impact you the next day. And, and yet we both know from working in nutrition that it takes a long time to change body composition, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've i worked with so many individuals, both healthy individuals who need to change body composition from a sports perspective and also individuals that have had eating disorders um, and need to restore weight um, and also those that are eating disorders but kind of the opposite end in terms of binge eating disorders, right? So I've worked with a real variety of people and change doesn't happen mentally very quickly but change doesn't happen physically very quickly and i was saying to this this climate today i said in in the years that i've worked in eating disorders the most weight anybody has restored in one week and that's somebody who has been bed rest and really you know put on a very high calorie dense um diet for a week because they were so underweight we were really concerned about their heart and and their body you know physical kind of health um, was 1.6 kilos and most of that again as you know will be fluid glycogen you know it's not real body weight Mm. as such you know it's not but this fear of suddenly becoming overweight and fleshy and obese and 
And I understand we have these two extremes. Like I get we've got this problem with obesity, obesity epidemic as we hear about it all the time. But we've also got to understand that we have also got a real mental health issue going on too mm. because the more, I guess, the more social media is around, the more dopamine hits we're getting. You know, like everybody's looking for a dopamine fix every five minutes by looking on their phone, mm. like how many likes have I had from that post or has anybody interacted with me or, mm. you know, like you, you, I, I don't, like I, I don't know. Like, I, don't, I sometimes think, God, do people ever stop on their phone? Do people ever just kind of, apart from when you're asleep? But, I mean, I try and have periods of time in the day where I don't have my phone on me at all. Mm. So that actually all I do is I'm in my own thoughts or I even sometimes just not think about anything, just kind of being. Because I think that's such an important aspect of being a human being that we've lost the art of doing. Um, and if you're not comfortable in that empty space and you're always looking to fill it, which is what a lot of people do, then you never really learn how to be okay with yourself, if that makes sense, because mm. you're always to fill that space with, with, with something. And whether that's, you know, like, like I said, a dopamine hit from your phone or whether it's that, you know, you feel like you have to be busy all the time. I mean, that's another thing we heard all the time. I'm so busy all the time. I mean, it's not a badge of honor. It's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. I said to you earlier, my, my work-life balance is dreadful at the moment and I'm not happy about it. Like, mm. I, I know I've got to do something about it because it's not fun. Like, I'm not enjoying it. It's, it's not good for me to be actually constantly quite anxious about the amount of workload I have and, and also understanding that the clients I work with need the best of me. So if I'm not looking after myself, how mm. can I look after them? So, you know, it's, I think a lot of the reasons why people possibly, you know, end up trying to fill their lives with obsessions with food or obsessions with training or obsessions with body image or anything else is because they don't know what else to do because they don't know else how to fill that void of actually just being okay with nothing. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense at all, but... Um, yeah, it definitely does. Kind of, yeah. No, it definitely does. And um, yeah, as I reflect on what you were saying there, I think the interesting times, obviously when I'm sleeping, I'm not on my phone. And I've found that um, when I'm training or running, because I'm doing a bit more running over the last few years, I, I tend to not be on my phone. And then I, and I've integrated um, for at least half an hour a week, sometimes maybe 15 to 15 minute sessions, or sometimes if, if I have more time on a Friday, I do um I do 30 minutes in a sauna and that is actually again where you sit there and it's a kind of it's a bit of a yeah it's a test because you can you can kind of enjoy the first few minutes it's warm and obviously you know that there's health benefits around it but then you start to kind of in your mind you think wow you know how how am I going to feel this time now if if I'm not necessarily sleepy and then obviously you can't just flick onto your phone and it's been an interesting challenge integrating that into my week because it's been it's been good from from a mind point of view but then also like you said it's being comfortable with just not really thinking about much at all and not having um you know not not having anything on me um and and just relaxing and and you know letting yourself do the time in a place like that and just reflecting and I think wow if I still find it hard to find two sets of 15 minutes a week to do that then uh, you know there's 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 definitely things that I need to change you know that should just be a given but it isn't always you know you ask someone else 
could they find two sets of 15 minutes where they're not really particularly doing much you know during the working week every week they'd probably say like you said oh you know I'm too busy for that um so it's interesting yeah Yeah, no I'm like you I don't take my phone out when I'm running and I don't take my phone out when I'm walking my dog yeah Um, and I actually switch my phone on to silent from eight o'clock in the evening Mm. um eight o'clock in the morning so unless I pick my phone up I won't know whether I've got a message or not um so I I just I think there's an element of also boundary I don't know how you feel about being when you're as a practitioner I sort of feel like I feel like again because of Instagram particularly in my case it's like this 24-7 work life as well in the Mm you know you're accessible all the time and and yet i'm not like i need that i need downtime too mm. um but i do i mean obviously i i care about everybody that, that messages me and i don't want people to feel that i'm not interested in what they've got to say so i will always try and respond to everybody um and also like you know when you do the the ask the question on instagram i mean i'm inundated and it's really hard to answer every single person's question and Mm. um mm. do my best but it's it's really difficult and I suppose it's really it's I guess I'm just I'm just trying to explain to people that you know in in the in the past when we went to work we went to work we worked nine till five mm. we didn't really turn our phones on um and we came home and um and we had a social life and mm. family life and whatever else um whereas now it's like the phone's an extension of who we are isn't it to a certain yeah, degree yeah. so it it's like you can you can be in touch with somebody any time of any day and you can comment on posts and you can you know get answers to questions and i just i just think i, I don't know i feel like as human beings we have our brain hasn't really caught up with all of that at all and that's why we're struggling so much um from a mental health perspective because I think there's just too much expectation all, all the time to prove that you're good enough, to prove that you're succeeding, to prove that you're achieving. Yeah. And that is what then creates and generates anxiety. And obviously mm. if you don't manage anxiety well, that's what can then tip into these sort of more dysfunctional and destructive behaviours, you know, whether that's whatever, running, you know, as in exercise, food, alcohol, yeah. drugs, whatever. You know, everybody has their thing. Yeah. Um, and I... I, I do worry a lot about the younger generation that have never had anything other than, than that. Yeah. You know, and like what that's doing to them in terms of um, their narrative, like their general narrative about how they see themselves. I, I do really worry about that. Mm. It's, yeah, it's interesting. It's Yeah, it's one of those things where the ask the question one, especially because you know, more people are finding out about you when, when you do do that. That was something I was going to bring up because I've seen, obviously, when you travel into London to work with clients or, you know, when you do have the commuting time where if it's during the day, you can go on your phone and you, and you can add value, which is what I like. You know, you add value in so many different situations. And it is interesting when, you know, people do ask questions. And I saw recently on there, you had to kind of say, look, I'm, I'm giving some broad brush stroke kind of conversations information but you know I really I really can't give recommendations as if you know you and I had sat down I'd taken consent from you and you know we're working together you're paying me for my time whereas I think people do you know they expect knowledge on all fronts now but then also I think people need to understand some some of these figures people that are obviously very very popular 
Um, and if you want to use the word important, you know, they have teams of people that run social media. And I think when it's, you know, you running your own personal account and people coming for advice to you, but then they might be looking at other, um, you know, chefs or other other kind of, let's just use the word, kind of celebrity health influencers or whatever. They're huge machines that go in behind those characters that, that are constantly pushing out content. Um, and like yeah. you said, we just expect it. My... Um, my girlfriend works for Jamie Oliver in, in his social media team and they and she is one of four and they are full time and they work on all of his channels and he has a separate marketing team. He has a separate digital team. And you think like that's it's just incredible. You know, it's incredible how that those those kinds of figures are constantly pumping out content. And then obviously individuals go to them for daily stuff comms photos and then obviously come to people like yourself too for answers to questions but obviously you're you're running your life plus work plus family plus going on instagram maybe once a day and then you end up feeling like oh have i have i missed have i missed something do you think i should go on there more often to provide more value and it's such a, a vicious circle i think isn't it of people requiring more from people like yourself and then you thinking you know should i be on this platform more to give out information but you're already doing so much yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you, Matt. I mean, probably, um, I think it's probably about 10 days, maybe 10 days ago, I, 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 just, I just had a really bad few days. I think nothing awful had happened in, in the grand scheme of things, but I just felt really, really, um, I don't know, maybe the word was just disillusioned, perhaps. I don't know, I just, I really was just like, what am I doing? Where am I going? Why am I doing this to myself? Um, probably because I just felt under pressure and I was tired. Um, and um, I almost deleted my whole Instagram account. Um, and I was very, very close because I was just like, I, I just, I don't want this pressure anymore to mm. be able to um, offer something useful on a daily basis or, or whatever else and mm. and also I, I wonder what value I'm actually giving to be mm. fair mm. Um, and it just so happened I was literally about to sort of post saying thanks guys for all your support but I'm I'm done with social media I need I just I'm done um and I got and whether you call it serendipity or whatever you want to call it but suddenly two uh young people contacted me just again they'd messaged me and they were just saying um, thank you so much for the content on your Instagram. Honestly, if you hadn't said some of the things you said, I'm not sure I'd still be here. And and it just, I mean, obviously those are those are very very um, uh, strong words for somebody to say to you. And and you sort of think, well, that, okay, so actually maybe I do make a difference, and, and maybe I do need to keep this because I think from my perspective, sometimes I worry. Um, I'm not. I'm not. Um, as I said to you right at the beginning, I'm not flash. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not this glamorous kind of um, social media type, if you want to call it that. Like mm. I'm not in it for the image. It, that's it, that's not what I'm. I'm here for. Mm. Um, and everything I post is honest. And um, I'm laughing because I was talking to a colleague of mine a few weeks ago, and we were talking about some of the Christmas videos I did. Um, you know, the kind of the, the kind of the looking after yourself over Christmas type videos. And she, she was saying to me, really, she said, the content's brilliant, but honestly, 
your delivery and I'm like do you know what I don't care because <laughs> it's not about what I look like it's yeah. not about like the delivery as long as the message is getting through surely that's the most important thing um, and on the on the other side of that I was talking to a client of mine this morning and she's a young mum and she's really struggling at the moment with with um, sort of accepting herself and uh, just struggling with, with where life is because it feels very 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 chaotic with two small children and She's kind of lost her identity a little bit. And she mm. was saying, she goes, but she says, the thing is, I really like your post because I feel like I can, you're very relatable. Whereas if I look at some of the images of other people where it's all very beautiful and glamorous and photos of them smiling in their crop tops, mm. I, I, I can't relate to that. Like, I'm never going to be that. And it just doesn't, even though their messages, I'm sure, are brilliant, mm. I can't relate to that. And it made me think, okay, so maybe there is, the, you know, I might not have the, the thousands and millions of followers that some people have, but obviously something I'm doing is right because it is relatable to certain groups of people. And I know that definitely putting out the information around, um, disordered eating, around overtraining, mm. um, and affect you in so many different ways, um, helping people to maybe challenge their mindsets and giving them almost permission to, to realize that they have a choice, they don't have to always believe the intrusive thoughts, you know, doing all those things obviously is, is my job, I mean, it's what I do in, in, in my job anyway, but I think being able to kind of spread that word, you know, wider mm. and get people like more aware, I think is really important. Like, like, like the, the you know, the, like you said, the post this morning about um, your digestive system. You know, yeah, your digestive system could be irritable bowel syndrome, um, or it could be runner's gut because let's face it, a lot of athletes do struggle with with GI distress. But in you know, and obviously, I appreciate that my audience and my my population that I work with, they are a minority but there's a, a lot of them and so like 90% of the people that I see who come in with gut issues it's got nothing to do with food intolerances or irritable bowel syndrome even though they've been labeled that it's actually got to do with the fact that you know they're in energy preservation they've got delayed gastric emptying so when they then try and you know when they're then filling their their, their bodies full of really high fiber foods because mm -hmm. that's what being told to do it's slowing things down even further and they become more bloated and more uncomfortable and and then you get this kind of you know alternate constipation diarrhea and and it's not nice and it's not fun and it's not pleasant but they don't understand that actually for them it's got nothing to do with actually the quality of their diet it's actually got to do with the quantity of their diet more than anything else mm. um so i guess again it's it's you know, again, it's being able to, as a practitioner, and that's why I say when you're when you're a newly qualified practitioner, my one bit of advice is get as much experience in as many different fields as you can. So, from my perspective, when I qualified, I did. Um, it was a bit like when what junior doctors do. You know, you do a rotation. So I did like. Um, nine month rotations in different clinical fields. So I did nine months in renal, um, nine months in gastro, nine months in pediatrics, um, and nine months just in general. So that you did everything basically. Oh. Um, and then you move up to the next level. So I guess, I don't, I can't remember what the doctor's sort of um, banding is now, but you know, in our case, you used to be a basic grade dietitian and then you were a, 
um, you know, the next level up, you were just you were just a dietitian, and then you became a senior dietitian. It kind of went up like that. Yeah. And when you're a dietitian, you you then you do like a, you have a general workload, but then you specialise in a particular area. So you do eighteen months of specialising in something that you're interested in. And in my case, I did paediatrics, and I covered things like liver and um, ITU and gastro and oncology and allergy and cystic fibrosis, all within that paediatric. Wow. Um, you know, so what I'm saying is that when you're learning, when you're, when you're I mean, obviously I'm, I'm talking from a dietetic point of view, and obviously people come in from different pathways, but try and get as much experience as you can. Don't just decide on the one area because. What I, while I obviously I now have got a specialist area, I still use the knowledge from every area that I've worked in to help me make decisions. So when I was working with um, Paralympic teams, I could use my clinical knowledge working, having done work in urology, having done work in gastro. Mm. You know, I could, I could use that information to help the athletes in terms of what we did about. Um, you know, fluid and um, osmo, you know, load in, in terms of osmolality as osmolality load and things like that because they had, I mean, they had spinal cord injuries. Then you had to take that one into consideration. So, I think, I, I guess that's it. Like for me, the more experience you can have, the more of a well-rounded practitioner you're going to be, and don't just kind of focus on one area too soon. Is, yeah. is my my advice to anyone who's thinking about doing nutrition or who is doing nutrition at the moment yeah no i think that's you know that's 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 really valuable and um i've i've, I've been lucky to pick up some work recently especially in the last year working in different sites uh, for nuffield health and and i find that that's that's just I've, I've done it exactly for that like you said just get into some of these clinics you know some of them have gyms attached to them some of them are just medical centers in their own right and just working with so many different types of people because i came out of rugby where it was, you know, men that listened to everything that you that, that you did and and told them to do. You had you had chef, you had supplements. It was it was easy, you know, performance and things. So now it's it's working with people like you said that are busy that have all kinds of things going on that obviously work corporately for a living because that's where all of these sites are attached to those those kinds of setups. So it's cor- corporate wellness in essence, but. Yeah, that 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 range of, of of individuals that I see through the week now, and and I absolutely love it because I said, all right, let's get the head down, and and all of that can be behind the scenes. There's none of that on social media, and I just, I just, um, yeah, really enjoy coming up and and working with people from from yeah all all ages, people that have been in companies and in situations for twenty, thirty years. You know, new new grads who are thinking about well being and performance and trying to get. Um, into different stages of the company and things like that you know new new parents and um, yeah it's fantastic and and also recently around the um, like private side of things again I'll, I'll always lean towards endurance individuals because it's something I like to do I have some experience working with people but then I've also taken on um, a, a role in in a fashion agency and and that is um, very much out of my comfort zone but as you said there any it's it's just getting into a different situation and and you know now I'm working bits and bobs I did more in the summer leading up to fashion week 
Um, and now it's more so on the other side of things, you know, after after that time of the year, re-engaging with those individuals and seeing how, how they are and then moving forward. And it's it's a huge challenge, but it's probably some of the most rewarding rewarding work that I do, really, because it is about, right, just sit back and listen and, and, and understand those individuals and get to know a new environment, but then apply the principles that, that I've learned maybe in other aspects of performance nutrition to yeah. to 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 that situation because in essence you know to a degree that you know they are athletes in a way you know they're judged on how how they look but it isn't the same as as an endurance athlete to a model but their the performance nutrition can kind of merge slightly but um mm. yeah that that's such an interesting sector at the moment so i think yeah when you said keep trying to get into different situations i think it's yeah, that's 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 extremely valuable yeah and i think also don't don't worry about changing you know like I remember when I when I first set out and I thought right okay I'm, I'm gonna do this and and I'm gonna I'm gonna be a dietitian in a clinical sector and and I when I started doing it I loved it and I got loads from it and obviously as I explained to you I learned so much in like the first three or four years it was just like wow this is incredible amounts of knowledge that I've observed and learned and you know you spend time with pharmacists and physios and um, you know, radiographers, and, and, and you go into ward rounds. I mean, it, it was an incredible experience, without a doubt, really, really grounding and, and really important for me. And then I got to a stage where I was a bit like, I don't know if I want to work with sick people all the time, because it's actually quite hard work. And, mm. um, and also, I was struggling with working within the NHS and, and kind of the kind of constraints of working within the NHS from a funding point of view, and, and that meant I couldn't be the practitioner I wanted to be because obviously by you know as you as you develop you know how you want to practice to a certain degree, um, and so you know I, I took I took some time out and then I, I took a, I decided to leave the NHS and and I did still do some private work um, and it was that time when I also did my postgrad in. Um, applied sports nutrition because I felt like well I've always been really sporty and that's that's I want to work with people where you know they're healthy and they're and they're kind of like they're eager to to improve their performance and eager to improve their health and mm. um, which is what I did but then obviously you go down that road and you realise there are so many problems within sport um, because of the nature of sport because of the competitive nature because of the culture because of athlete mentality you know all those things are so uh, they're not always conducive to good health and good mental health either and so I guess the more and more I got asked to, to, to work with people who were had dysfunctional relationships with food and exercise the more I realized that you know actually this is this is really really where I want to be because I I want to I want to help people get the quality of their life back mm, and mm. I want to especially with athletes I want to be able to help an athlete to not just restore weight and restore energy and go back into training but actually restore them to the point where they understand themselves so much better and accept themselves so much better that they go into that competitive environment so much more resilient and robust so that they don't then go backwards again because a number of times you see the same injuries again and again and again because an athlete doesn't quite allow themselves enough time off because they you know they, their relationship with with exercise is so bad like it's you know they can't not exercise because it 
they're addi- they're almost addicted to it. You know, it's it's such a they, there's so much work, so much of their work tied into it. Mm. Um, and so I guess it's being able to help people to understand that, help athletes understand all the relationships that are interlinked and and why they're getting injured all the time. And then actually, let's change it. Let's change the formula so that you're not getting injured anymore and you're actually reaching your potential. Um, And I guess guess it's been successful and and that's why then, you know, you get the coaches and you get the lecturers and um, and I'm doing some stuff with um, the Welsh Institute of Sport next week. They've asked me and my colleague, Nikki Key, who's a a really good sports endocrinologist to come in and do sessions both with all the coaches that work within the institute and then all the wider staff that work within the institute on um, particularly on reds and um, and how you screen for it and and why it develops and what the concerns are and, and then how do we get people back on track so you know I think I, th- I think there's 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 so much more to your practice than just understanding what the macros are and mm. how that works and mm. and I think like I said to you and I think you're doing a great job just to get as much experience because you will get to the point where you um you find what works for you like I'm the happiest I've been from a work perspective like I love I've loved everything I've done don't get me wrong like I've learned so much from everything and I feel really privileged that I've had the opportunity to go to two um Olympic and Paralympic Games and, and be part of all that and I get to go to like you know I'm going to the world with the Great Britain 24 hour team this year again and you know I get lots of really amazing opportunities and I love them all but I also fundamentally really like working with people where you're almost putting all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle back together again and helping them to have the quality of life they deserve mm. um, but it took me it's taken me 20 years to realise that that's what I enjoy doing you know, and it might change again in five or six years' time. Who knows? But for now, it's 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 a good place to be. Mm. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic, and I think you know that's that's a really good place to round off the conversation. And I know, um, I think when this comes out, you you would have done your your um your most recent event, um, which is actually was you know is, is on the second of Feb. And um, yeah, I'm wondering if if you can let if you can let the listeners know, is there anything else that that you have planned or that you know public speaking wise? I'll, I'll obviously link to your to your books and 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 your website and your lovely Instagram. Hopefully, if you don't delete it, um, people <laughs> people can see that there. But is you know is there any in, any other chance for for the rest of this year where people can can see you in person at all? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um... I've got two Train Brave events coming up, so um, we've got one in Cambridge on the 10th of February and then one in, in London on the 17th of February, which I really, really recommend anybody that's working in um, sport or who feels they may have a slight dysfunctional relationship with eating and training to come along. It's a free event um, and I'm there to kind of help you understand why it happens and we're there to answer questions and to provide support. So those are two events coming up in February. Um, I am doing an event which I can't say much about yet because it's um, it's quite a big event and um, I don't think I'm allowed to say anything until the individual that is organising it has said something. But yeah, just, sure. it's, it's in February. So um, just watch out for that one. It'll be on my Instagram. And um, I'm also looking at the moment at... Um, 
I've collaborated with um, Rory Brown, and he is um, somebody who has a fitness background, but also has a psychology degree and a coaching degree, and um, is very much kind of working in the same, not the same capacity as me, but he's working on helping individuals change their mindset about the kind of body image aspect of the thin ideal and the gym bunny and you know what it means to be in the gym type aspect and so we are looking to run a retreat um, on the 8th to 10th of March and we're already getting quite a lot of people and we've only posted a couple of times but I mean I've had six or seven people just in the last 24 hours contact me saying please send me details so um, that would be quite exciting um, that would be quite exciting if that comes when we, when we post about that. Mm. Um, uh, I think that's probably it for now. That's what that takes you to is March. But, yeah, there'll be plenty more opportunities, I'm pretty sure. Um, I'm going to be at Trails, uh, Love Trails as well. Actually, I spoke to Theo on Friday. So I'll be at Love Trails the whole weekend as well. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I spoke to Theo recently about that as well. I, I was thinking around... I might be doing some kind of podcasting or um or something, but that you know that still be to arrange. But that's good to hear that you'll be there too, because I think they've done really well with that. If people haven't heard about that before, it's a it's a kind of um yeah, it's like a running running kind of festival. There'll be workshops and and um things around nutrition. Obviously, if any, will be there, and um yeah, they've they've started to to grow that really well. Um, yeah, Theo and I've got some really good, really interesting, cool ideas. So um, we're just finalising what that's going to look like, and then he'll put it on the program. So yeah, definitely, if any got any good runners out there listening to this, and well, you don't have to be good runners; you just have to be fun runners because it's just it's just fun, isn't it? It's a really good weekend of yeah. running and uh, music and food and workshops. Cool. So um, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's uh, and I love the Gower, so I think it'll be great. And yeah. I'm really pleased to be part of that again so yeah it'll be fun it'll be really good fun nice okay lovely people huge amount of value there and yeah like i said it was absolute pleasure to have someone who's got so much experience coming on the show if you enjoyed it again you know share it with someone this is this is quite an interesting episode around yeah there's no clear topic it's a lot of self-reflection we talked a lot about self-compassion and if you think this will benefit someone then definitely let them know i'll link to everything in the show notes and yeah, have a lovely week and thanks so much for listening.